Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word that we just heard through the lips of your Son, and we pray that by your Spirit you will soften our hearts so that we might be good soil to receive what you want to say to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. Uh, draw your attention to that passage from Romans, Romans chapter 8. Uh, this morning, we'll be looking at the last part of that passage, starting at verse 14, where Paul describes the children of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? What are we saying when we call people children of God? a popular phrase out there in the culture. We oftentimes hear people say, we are all God's children. Sometimes you'll hear politicians say that, we're all God's children. Sometimes preachers will say that, we're all God's children. And that certainly contains a kernel of truth because uh, we are all, all human beings are created in the image of God. The scripture teaches that in the image and likeness of God. And so all people have dignity and value just by virtue of their existence as human beings. So when it comes to creation, we're all God's children. We're made in His image and in His likeness. But that's not the way that the New Testament uses that phrase, that identity, children of God. Uh, the New Testament uses it in the way that Paul uses it here in Romans 8. See, the way our culture talks about children of God stresses our commonality. All human beings are made in the image of God. They're God's children. But the New Testament says that God's children are different than others. God's children are odd. We're different. And what I want us to look at is, is how Paul talks about the children of God here so that we can understand that and appreciate that and grow into this identity that God has given us as his children. Uh, they are different in terms of how they live from other people, Paul says. Uh, they are different in terms of the way they relate to God. And they're different in terms of the destiny that they have. There's something that sets God's children apart from the rest. And it's a work of God's grace. So let's look at what Paul says here. That the children of God live differently than those in the world. He says that they live spirit-led lives. That the, the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. You see that in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, in the style of the day, we understand when Paul says sons, he's talking about sons and daughters. He's using that as a, as a way to talk about all of God's children. So those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, we could say, sons and daughters of God. Now, what does he mean by led by the Spirit? Well, he's been talking about there's two ways to live this life. You can be led by what he calls the flesh, 
which is a self-centered and uh, way of life that doesn't really take into account God, doesn't care so much about what God thinks. It's about what I think and what I want. That's the, 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 the life of the flesh, living a life that's led by the flesh. And, and in fact, he, he says earlier that this mindset, this way of doing life, is actually hostile to God. Romans 8, 7. God, get out of my business. I want to live life on my own terms, according to my own values. So the life of the flesh is a life, again, that is centered on the self, doesn't care really about God, and and, and even in many ways is opposed to God. But then there's the life of the spirit, a different way to live, a spirit-led life. And that is a life that desires to please God, that wants to please God, because God's Spirit is is within. And so you have these two ways of doing life, a Spirit-led life that wants to please God, or a flesh-led life that wants to please self, you see. And then there's places where Paul will actually paint a picture of what these different ways of life look like. In Galatians 5, for example, his letter to the church at Galatia, he, he paints a picture. He, he, he says, okay, now this is what it looks like to live a flesh-led life. And he says it's obvious. Everybody kind of knows what this looks like. And he, he talks about that and he says, well... Those who live a flesh-led life, a a self-centered life, they're they're, um, involved in pleasure-seeking. Particularly, he mentions sexual sins, sexual immorality, and things like that. That characterizes a a flesh-led life. Or, he says, people who live flesh-led lives, they have relationship issues because they tend to be angry people. They express themselves in fits of rage and they create divisions and rivalries where they go because they're insisting on their way, you see. Uh, and then he talks about how people who live these, these flesh-led lives have spiritual issues. Uh, they, they, they commit spiritual sins. Well, all those sins are spiritual sins, but explicitly spiritual sins because instead of worshiping the true God, they worship idols. And they fall into things like occult practices. He mentions sorcery in Galatians 5. And he says, no, that's a spirit, that's a flesh-led life. And why do people live flesh-led lives? Well, those of us who have this nature in us, we all do, this fallen nature, understand why people live flesh-led lives. Because if it feels good, do it. Because, in a sense, there's, there's, for a season at least, pleasure in that kind of lifestyle. It feels, it feels kind of good sometimes if you're one of these sorts of people to just go off on somebody that's irritating you, a fit of rage. That can feel kind of good and cathartic. I'm just going to tell you what I really think. But that can create a lot of pain and relational breakdown. So it's... Temporary pleasure, but long-term pain. But 
there are multiple reasons we could talk about why people live this kind of a life. It's the natural way to live, really. Something supernatural has to happen. And that is the work of the Spirit. And so then Paul talks about in Galatians 5, he's talking about the Spirit, uh, the flesh-led life, and then he talks the Spirit-led life. And he says the fruit of that is love. It's the fruit of the Spirit working in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those kinds of things, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it looks like to live a Spirit-led life. I don't know about you, but I think I prefer that over the other. Although there's been seasons of my life where I've gravitated towards the flesh-led life. But over time, you begin to realize that doesn't give you lasting satisfaction. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's like, the, 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 the children of God are different in terms of how they live because the Spirit of God lives in them and they're living these Spirit-led lives. It's a marker of a child of God. You can identify them this way. Um, when we were on, on the 4th of July, uh, some friends invited us over to their house. This was uh, uh, a classmate of Josie. So we didn't know these people. Um, we knew a couple of people at this party. But when we got there, it was, it was a cool party. There was families and, and little kids all over the place. I mean, probably... 70-ish people were in this backyard, and you got all these little kids running around. But it didn't take long for, even though we didn't know these families, to identify who belongs to who, <laughs> who the kids are and who the parents are. You know, They obviously look like their parents. So the, so the brown-haired little boy who's running up to the brown-haired man and saying, hey, where can I get the desserts? And pulling on his shirt, tell me where the desserts are. Well, that's the son of the father, you know, the little girl who's being instructed by an older woman on how to play cornhole, and she's being very gentle and very encouraging as the daughter looks to her for instruction. Well, that's mom and daughter, you know. The little guy that's attacking his father with water balloons, that's my son, Sam. That's what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> they had a water balloon fight between the parents and the kids. But the point is, is that you see the family resemblance and you just see the little children naturally looking to their parents to be led, to be led by them, looking to their parents for direction. And, and that's how it is with the children of God. Um, the children of God, yes, we still struggle with the flesh. We still sin and we still battle these sinful desires, but we look to God to help us. We're happy to be led by God's Spirit because we belong to Him. We belong to God our Father and His Spirit is in us. We're happy. And sometimes, just like kids in a regular family, I mean, we go through seasons of rebellion. Kids, teenagers often will go through seasons of rebellion where they're rejecting their family of origin. There's tension there around that. It great, causes great consternation with the parents. Partly why I have gray hair when the teenagers start to do that. But um, a true child of God is not going to be happy in that season of rebellion. They're not going to be happy because that's not who they are. They're going to be in a miserable state spiritually until, like the prodigal, they come back home. 
And God is faithful to do that, to lead his children back home. Are you grateful for that? That the the father leads prodigals back home. The Spirit of God resides in the children of God. So they're led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. They live differently. And then they have a different relationship with God. They have this unique relationship where Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. There were many reasons why if you were a slave to fear your master, if you had a harsh master, many reasons why you had to fear and to 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 tremble in the presence of a master who was harsh, who could treat slaves in such dehumanizing ways. But Paul says that is not the relationship that we have with God as sons and daughters of God. Yes, we're to fear God in terms of reverence, to be in awe of Him, but not in cringing fear because we know God is for our good. God does not want to harm us. God is for our good and He's working out goodness in our lives, even through difficult times. So we do not fear God. When we fail and when we sin big time, we do not have to be afraid that God the Father is going to say, okay, pack it up and get out of the house. You're no longer part of this family. No, that's not God our Father. Because Paul has said that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. If you're in Christ... That condemning word does not apply to you. That word of judgment, that's been taken at the cross of Christ, the judgment that we deserve. So we don't have to be afraid of saying, of hearing those words from God, hey, get out of the house. You're not part of this family anymore. We don't have to fear God's judgment after this life. We don't have to be afraid of what comes after this life because the sons and daughters of God have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And they have this eternal witness that they belong to him. And here's a beautiful truth that Paul lifts up. And Paul, among all the New Testament writers, and I think even alone among the New Testament writers, stresses this this idea of salvation as adoption. And if we had time, we could unpack it a little bit more. But this is something that Paul emphasizes, this idea that we have been adopted into the family of God. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's this internal witness, see. This is not something that happens naturally. We don't naturally understand God this way. We've been adopted. We've been brought into this family through the work of God's spirit and through the work of his grace. Now, in those days when a child was adopted, in the, in the Roman world, usually the child who was adopted was an older child, like an older teenager. And the pater familias, the father of the family, would, ad- would adopt a child because he needed, among other reasons, he needed a legitimate heir. And so he would bring on this, this older child, and if he's worried about his estate and where it's going to go, it's going to be an older boy like a teenage boy and the interesting thing is when they brought this child into the family when the potter familias brought this child into the family if that young man had accrued debt he would pay for the debt that debt would be wiped away so he would be given a fresh start and a clean slate he would be given a new name 
he would be given uh, the, the status. If, if this child had been a slave and now was adopted into a family, he is just catapulted in terms of his social status. He's been given a new identity, a new social status, new privileges, and his slate of debt has been completely wiped clean. And that is what Paul is saying for people who understood in that context what adoption meant. He's saying that's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. He's wiped the debt of sin away at the cross of Christ. The sin has been paid for. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new life. You've been brought into a new family. Now you have new obligations. You're serving a new father who has done all this because of his grace. Because of his love. Because of his mercy. Because, as he says in Ephesians 1, of his good pleasure, he's adopted you. It's not as if you show up at the father's house and you come with your CV and your resume And you say, hey, look at how great I am. Nothing in us to commend ourselves. It is his love and it's his grace that brought us into the family. And so we have this relationship with God so much so that we can call God Abba Father. Abba Father, which, as you know, if you've been around the church for a while, you've heard this, I'm sure, that this was not what... Jews in Jesus' day called God. This is not how they addressed God in prayer. God was too transcendent, too high, too holy to use this term, Abba, Father, which was a household term. It's like saying, dearest dad. Uh, It's something that the little ones would use. It's something that the older children would use when they saw their father, even as they were older adults. It was a way of just saying, I have this special connection with you, dearest dad. Abba, Father. And Jesus teaches us to address God that way. We can know God at that level of relational intimacy. That we can know God as our Father and call Him Abba, Father. And cry out to Him that way. It's a beautiful uh, privilege that Christ has given us. I was reading a couple of weeks ago, um, I don't know how I got onto this, but an interview with the CEO of Weight Watchers. This young woman sophisticated, really smart, sharp, thinking about her industry and and what she needs to do to position her company vis-a-vis the new realities of the marketplace and all this. And just really sharp lady, the CEO of Weight Watchers. And somehow they got on spirituality. And she was talking about her beliefs. And I think she really represents a lot of people today in American culture where she's, she's spiritual but not religious. She's open to spirituality and she's seeking. And she said this in the interview. She said, um, I believe in a higher power. I believe in doing good. I believe in karma and I believe in the golden rule. I believe in a higher power. So she, she believes that there's something out there, you see. And there's some force at work, karma. But she doesn't know this highest power. And I would love to sit down with somebody like that and say, I'd like to introduce you to this power. (laughs) I would like to introduce you to the highest power, and I want to tell you how you can know him as your father, not as this abstract higher power. I would like to explain to you why grace is better than karma. 
why it's better to not get what you deserve from God. You know, but there's so many people like that. See, they don't have that special relationship with God. They don't know God as their Abba Father. And this is what Jesus invites his children into. This is what Jesus gives us. You can know God as your Father. And therefore, you can go to God, your, uh, your Father, like he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, to ask him about daily things and ask him for daily forgiveness and ask him that every day I might glorify you in my work and in my family and among my friends. And as I do life, I want to bring glory to your name. I want your name to be hallowed. That gives new meaning to life. And this is what Christ gives us. And then finally, the children of God have a different destiny. They live differently. They have a different relationship with God. And they have a different destiny. So he says in verse 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, here's the, here's the contingency here. Those of you who are lawyers, this is the kind of language you look for, right? Here's what you get. It, but here's the clause. Here's the proviso. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. So there's some great things coming. There's an inheritance coming. There's glorification coming. But right now we suffer often. But we suffer in hope for these things that are coming, you see. It gives new meaning to suffering. We have an inheritance coming our way. I mentioned that that's that was one of the primary reasons why a Roman father who did not have legitimate heirs would adopt somebody so that he could give the estate to his son. And when he adopted that son into his family, at that point, not just at his death, but at that point, that son was known as an heir and he had rights and privileges with regard to that estate. But then the son knew that it would all be his, something greater, a greater inheritance would be his on his father's decease. And that's how it is with us. We enjoy some of the blessings of being a child of God now. We enjoy the blessing of fellowship with him through his word, through prayer, through the spirit, through the body of Christ. We enjoy these privileges, but it's just a little foretaste of the greater thing to come, the inheritance that is on the way. It's just an appetizer for a greater feast. We're going to get more than we can imagine when we are in heaven. We're going to be in the presence of God who the scripture says in his presence there's fullness of joy. We're going to experience joy far beyond what we can ask or imagine in his presence. That's what's waiting for us. It's like I heard the story of a, of a, of a lady who's Mother was a school teacher, and we've, we've heard these stories before, haven't we? They get this surprise inheritance. And this lady named Louisa, it was in her 40s when uh, she was sent a notice by a financial company that she had inherited tens of millions of dollars because her mother, who was a school teacher, had been investing and was very careful to save and to invest, and she was good at that investment and that savings. And as a result of that, this woman, this woman, he said, we grew up and things were kind of tight. I had no idea what was coming to me. 
And then she gets this notice. You're a, mil- you're a multi-millionaire. That's what was ahead. And she, didn't, she did not even imagine that that would be a possibility. And I think that's an inkling of what we're going to experience in the presence of God. We're going to be blown away by what it means to be glorified with Christ. That's why the son and the daughter of God can go through suffering with hope. And that's another way that God's children are odd because the people of this world don't have hope beyond this world. And so if this world is all there is, then suffering does not make sense. Death does not make sense. But in the Christian view, there's a meaning and purpose to suffering, which we'll talk about more next week. But what we do is we go on through suffering with hope, knowing that greater things are to come that will far outweigh, as Paul goes on to say, far outweigh the present suffering. So, friends, are you grateful for this identity? that God has given you? Are you grateful that He's adopted you into His family? Do you delight in this identity? Do you take joy in being a son or daughter of God? Are you you living according to this high calling and this holy privilege that He's given you that you can call Him Abba Father? Are you crying out to Him as your Abba Father as you go through this life? Are you asking the Spirit of God who is in you to help you walk in a way that pleases God? We don't do this in our own strength. We cannot do this in our own strength. Paul says it's by the Spirit that we mortify the desires of the flesh. We go to the Spirit in prayer and ask Him to weed out like the parable That Jesus taught there are weeds, there are thorns that want to choke out the life of God and the work of God in us and through us. And we ask the Spirit to identify those things and begin rooting them out of our life so that we might be fruitful for God. Are we living into this privilege and identity? As you think about what it truly means to be a child of God, can you say today, that's me? That's me. By the grace of God, that's what God has done and is doing in my life. If not, if you cannot look at this description of what it means to be a child of God and you see no recognition of yourself in these verses, then turn to God's Son and become a son of God. Turn to God's Son and become a daughter of God. Look to what Christ did for you on the cross to forgive you of sin. Look at what Christ offers you, this supernatural work of the Spirit, so that you can walk in a way that pleases God and gives you satisfaction now and forever. So that you can enjoy this relationship with God. And you know Him not as this distant, vague, higher power, but as my dearest dad, my Abba, my father. It's a great privilege and a great honor. Let's pray. We thank you, God, 
for this teaching that Paul gives us on being adopted into your family by your grace. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who, as they honestly assess their spiritual condition in light of these words, if they cannot say with certainty, I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, this, I see myself in these things, that they would turn to you, turn to your son in repentance and faith, and your spirit would come into their lives and give them, breathe into them this new wonderful life. And I thank you, God, for those of us who today recognize ourselves by your grace in these pages, in these verses, that we, Lord, I pray, would continue to walk in this identity and grow so that we might be more and more mature sons and daughters for your glory. I pray these things. Amen.